0: Hello, and welcome to Dancing with Gravity, my podcast about seeing the world through the eyes of the juggler. My name is Cyril Rabat, I'm your host and I'm a French, sorry for my accent. have been a professional juggler for the past 25 years and this is episode number nine about my one of my tour in China. That was uh, 10 years ago when I was going to participate in the Vukiao, international circus festival which is actually a competition we we call it in the circus festival which is great it sounds festive and and fun it's not it's actually a competition it's like you know the Olympic Games but local like if the Olympic Games were happening you know once you're in China and then once you're in France and once you're in the US and like every major country or whatever country that has the money and will to organize a competition would just do it and then have people applying for the from everywhere around the world and there's a really tough selection and then people come, artists come and compete to win, you know, gold medal, silver medal, bronze, and then other lower, I mean lower, just like, you know, special prizes of like whatever. And I did a lot of those competitions uh, during my career. And those are really stressful. And, and um, there's a lot of... There's a lot of at stake because most of the time there's a lot of uh, people from the business coming in, like from the circus industry coming in and checking the new blood, seeing what's new, who's there, and it's not only always like new artists actually competing. Sometimes it's you know artists with a real long career. or like I I did a competition. I think it was two years ago in Belarus so you know you can keep participating in those festivals Some some of them are restricted for younger performers to really try to like see what's new but the biggest one are not you know like even I would say like the biggest one which is Monte Carlo festival is um, is actually Mostly looking for artists, you know, at the peak of their career and sometimes like older, more mature artists, kind of like a celebration of their career. So it's not unusual to see artists that have like already 20, 30 year career going there. And also, it's smart to like wait to go there because this is a really, really big festival. And what I see, the problem I see with festivals, circus festivals, is that when uh, artists go there too soon, they they lack um, knowing how to control their emotions, and you know the stress and anxiety and everything that comes in. And in a festival, this is gonna be multiplied by like a thousand because of the pressure, and also because of all all the other artists are going to be freaked out. So it's, like, contagious. You know, you're backstage, and when you do a normal show, you know, you have artists that stress a little bit and other artists that are more seasoned and they're just, like, relaxing. So it's kind of, like, helping, you know, to, like, stabilize the feeling backstage before going on stage. But in a festival, everything is... Everybody is, like, stressed out. Everything is really... Crazy. So it's like a, an amplifier of however you feel normally. Like you, it's, it's a, yeah, it's, it's hard uh, to keep one's ner- nerve um, and stay focused. It's really hard. So going there too soon with a very little experience of stage and performing is can be catast- catastrophic catastrophic, you know, I saw like beautiful artists but too young and when they're and they just burn their wings totally, you know, flying too close to the sun uh too fast and like they're not bad, it's just it was too soon. They probably need to go on tour and work for a few years and have a uh, you know, a few hundred shows under their belt to have some sense of their how they own the stage, how they own their act, and how they interact with the audience, so they're more secure and safe because of that. But my point today is to talk about China, and going there, and uh, touring for three months in China, Uh, so the starting point was this festival, where I was uh, lucky enough to be invited to participate, and they flew me there, Um, it was in Wukiao, because it's a Wukiao Circus Festival, and we were in a really great hotel, a big one, and in the center of the city, and um, every day we would, take a bus uh that took us to the venue it was a big venue like four or five thousand people audience it was frontal it was funny because it was like it was a lot of people but it was still like a theater um so everybody was being really in front it's not a circus it's not a, a tent or a circus space where people are all around it's really a theater uh they do, they do it like that in, in China, because they mostly do group, um, act, where they're like, you know, 20 acrobats on stage doing something crazy, or there is, um, they do, you know, flying trapeze, or they do, uh, juggling, you know, like where their feet, you know, like the, uh, whatever it is, uh, they, they, they have, they do contortion, they have like a bunch of different special, specialities, but they're, they're not, their focus is, now it's changing though, like now there is some solo shows happening, but also because of their tradition and how the society works over there, they're not individualistic, they they're not focusing their attention on the individual. They're focusing always their attention on the group, so they're doing group act. And to do a group ad with like twenty acrobats, going all around the stage, you need a huge stage. You can't do that in a small circus tent, obviously. So that's why their theaters, their their circus, you know, like spaces are big theater with a huge stage, so they can do those things which is not all the time very good for a solo performance like me, that, you know, I'm coming on stage and I'm just a juggler. I'm just going to be juggling here. And suddenly I'm in the middle of this huge stage, (laughs) you know, and it's difficult to fill it up, you know, just by myself juggling and doing contact juggling. It's very intimate, you know, and I, I... it's easier for me in to be in more intimate spaces where the audience is closer or even on, on a piste, on a circle stage, you know, like where people are all around me. I really like that because the proximity and there is a different relationship that is uh, possible because there's there's more eye contact, there's more, there's something much easier to set in a smaller Uh, setting. So this is really huge. Like this is, I mean, I, 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 unless I'm performing on a football stadium, it's pretty much the, as big as you can go, uh, in, in, in term of like a huge space and a huge audience. So I would go there they would take me there by bus, you know, there were like shuttles every hour. And so you take the shuttle, you go there, I would practice. And then uh, when I was there they were not really good at giving me any planning so every day I would go there hoping that I would get a chance to rehearse on stage and actually you know go through my lights and everything uh, which is very important also for a juggler because if the lights um, are you know in, in the wrong way uh, I, I, I can't see and if I can't see I can't juggle uh, this is a really big difference with uh, many other circus um, uh, disciplines because you know as long for most circus perform uh, disciplines as long as they can see the stage and where they're going to put their feet their hands or each other it's fine you know they can have like a bright light flashing lights they can have lights coming from only one source but for me it uh, doesn't work like that if i have lights coming from only one source it's always going to be coming from the audience because you know the audience needs to see me like the audience needs to see the show so you put lights over the head of the audience and you light up the stage but if i have only that it means that i'm looking to the audience and when i'm looking I'm raising my head and looking up to see my juggling, I'm looking directly into the light and I can't see anything. It would be like looking in the sun and try to juggle. You're just blind. You can't do anything. So I need multiple sources of light. Most importantly, coming from the side, even better from the back. So then there, you know, I have, you know, some, some light coming from the back. So when I throw a ball, I can see it from my perspective. And that's really hard sometimes because the audience think, you know, like, I can see what you're doing. You know, like, why? They don't, it, it, it never comes naturally for an audience to understand that if I drop or if I miss, it might be because of the light. Because from their perspective, they see what's happening. And naturally, when they see what's happening on stage, they think I do too. They think we're all in the same boat, you know, some some sort. They they don't have this. Uh, I mean, it's just if you if you don't go through the experience yourself, it's really hard to start thinking. Oh, wait a second. Where is coming the light? Uh, is there a light here? Is is the juggler see what he's doing? Like they they don't think about all that. So. Um, uh, sometimes when I fail on stage, it's because of the technique, not because of me. Because of the actual like technicians and the light on stage, and and they miss a cue or a light br- break or the you know pop up, and you the audience can still see me, but then I lose this one light that I need to see my juggling, and then there's nothing I can do. And there's nothing I can do also to explain to the audience at this point, like, hey, you know, (laughs) the music keeps going, the show must go on, and I'm in it. And for the, uh, in those moments, I'm in it for the worst. But so it's very important, specifically for a juggler, to to rehearse and have the opportunity to to go through uh, the act with the light and make sure everything is planned so I would go there you know like first day we go there I go there and then I wait and then I practice and you know in backstage and nothing happened and then I take the shuttle back home and then okay m- maybe tomorrow I was there like five days in advance and it was great so then I could get over my jet lag uh you know get o- get used to like maybe the food and you know like the different things so I'm not just sick you know when I go on stage so it was like five, six days of getting into the mood. And also, I was really happy to be in just China and check things out, you know, like go around. Actually, they didn't really want us to go around. They wanted us to really stick to the schedule. And the schedule was just like hotel, food, theater, food, hotel, food. You know, it was it, there was just, that's it. Don't get out alone. So second day, same, I go, shuttle, I get there, practice, wait the whole day, nothing happened, I can't, I'm asking, I try to ask around, hey, can I practice, because I was seeing everybody else, like, the, the Chinese uh, groups that were performing in the festival had, like, three hours to, like, go through the show, have, like, crazy light, like, with with a hundred different cues during their like 5 minute act i mean actually their act were like more like 10 12 minutes they do like really long act most of the time but they had a lot of time to rehearse i was like well i'm hopefully i'm going to be able to like get a little rehearsal in there and so i i kept doing that and 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 waiting you know and trying to get the to get a time and and then we know so we go back you know third day I do that and that in the third day I was noticing that you know what the shuttle is like just going down the street turning left and that's it and then back and I realized I can walk <laughs> I don't need to take the shuttle and so I started walking back and forth from the theater to uh, the hotel which was totally forbidden you know like there was no I was not supposed to do that but it was totally safe and and I guess they didn't want us to get lost or something but it was totally safe so I I I started exploring the city and going around um not saying anything because that that was forbidden uh but but I would just do that and so I could like go multiple times a day to the theater just have a feeling of i i really like like spending time around in the stage or around the stage or even in the audience before the show to have a a sense of how the audience perceive me perceive the stage to so i can know where you know like for me where is the best place on stage and where can i own the space is it important to like walk to the front of the stage so I can have um, a, a stronger connection with the audience. some theater, you don't, you shouldn't do that because of how um, the, the, the seats are displayed or whatever. Uh, you better, you're better off like in the center or like kind of like a little further back of the stage. In some theater, it's better to be in front. It changes depending on where you are. So I like spending time in a circus in a theater wherever it is to like be in the audience and 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 change place like not just go and sit in the center of uh you know like the audience space like because nobody's gonna sit on that one seat you know a lot of people are gonna be in the back far end or you know like um, on on uh, right in front of the stage on on the back on the far left or whatever so i i go in multiple places and i have a feel so i understand okay this is what's going to be working so i was doing that uh in part because I couldn't rehearse actually on stage and I didn't have a time to practice. So at least, you know, giving myself all the tools, because remember, I was here to compete and try to win and and, and be better than uh, everybody else, I guess. And After four days of being there practicing and not being able to rehearse, and the competition was like in 48 hours now. And finally, uh, the agent that booked me for that came. So, because he was not there for the first like five days, uh, he, he was not there. And I understood later why he was not there. Uh, because he didn't want to deal with that, and he knew by experience because he's he was, uh, providing artists, uh, for this, uh, festival for a long time. He knew that the Chinese actually, did didn't care about, uh, giving time to her rehearse to everybody else. They really was were owning, the stage and the rehearsal time for Chinese troops, you know, and Chinese artists, um, and that's just how it was, so when he, the, the, the agent got there, uh, with another, with another handful of artists, we were, like, talking, and we're being really, like, okay, that's not cool, you know, we, we didn't rehearse, we need time before the fucking show, you know, like, it's, it's really important, like, this is not, okay and so when he came we're like arguing with him and we're like hey you need to do something you really need to help us we really need to like put us out there so we can actually um you know so he can be fair and we can actually have a chance to compete and he was like well that's how it is you know like you're hopefully you'll get like 10 minutes uh and that's how it is and we're like hey that's not cool like, can you push and make it a little better for us? Like, if not, like, what is our options? You know, should we just leave? And he was like, yeah, leave, I don't care. And okay, so that that set the tone of like, oh, okay, like I'm here by myself, for myself, and nobody is gonna, you know, support me in what I do. And that's also one of the major difference with sport Um, when I see sport, like whatever it is, gymnastics, um, football, baseball, whatever it is, those athletes have an amazing team around, like they have money to actually have doctors, to have a team of physiotherapists, to have, you know, be able to get I don't know, scanner or whatever it is, like every time something happened, they go through a whole bunch of medical experts that right away look at what is the problem and they fix it. The only similar close-ish experience that I had is was when I worked with the Cirque du Soleil, they had two physiotherapists with us on tour, but their mission was not to actually help us, you know, heal anything or like really maintain a high level of, um, health. They were here more to like patch, um, uh, injuries and make sure where we could go on stage and do our job. So it was more like the priority was like, you're an acrobat or whatever. And you just, had a problem with your ankle, and they were there to, like, massage it, patch it, because we're, like, doing two shows a day all the time, so it was, like, patch it, make sure, go, and then after ice it, and, like, do whatever they could to, like, have the pain go, and, and, and so you can still do the show, but it was, it was great to have, like, a little, support, you know, but that's the only experience I ever had in the circus, that there's actually support from um, the employer to, to actually provide some sort of, um, yeah, support. Uh, When I see sport, and I see athlete in sport, they have like all those amazing things available to them, they have all this network and, and, and foundation around them to like really, take care of their body, their mind, their spirit, like how they, how they can focus so they can actually, yeah, they can actually focus on the task at hand and, and how to be better. Um, They're starting to have that a little bit in some professional circus schools around the world, but once you're out, you're out, you're on your own, you know, like you just have to you're on your own. And that's really the experience I had in China. I was just, okay, I'm on my own. Like nobody's gonna take care of me. I just have to figure that by myself. So uh, in the end, the day before the competition, I got 10 minutes to go on stage, check the light, have you know try to communicate with them that they needed to change a few things. And once I had like a light... Uh, that I could see what I was doing. I was like, okay, good, just do that. And then I had one light for my entire act. You know, like it's normally I get like maybe six to eight cues where, you know, the light changes because it adds a lot. You know, lights adds a lot to a circus performance. So, you know, I don't need the same light all the time because I'm not doing the same tricks and also the music changes. So it's great to like work a little bit the light so it it changes and it follows the flow and other Chinese artists I told you they had like up to like a hundred different light cues in their act and it was just like every three seconds and it was exactly pointed to where they were on stage and it was really complex it took hours and hours to plan that and no I just got 10 minutes and one light but you know, that's what I have. I had to work with. So I was like, okay, doesn't matter. I'm just going to go with it. And then we performed. And uh, I really didn't care about like winning anything at the time. But now I'm realizing it's kind of stupid because I was going there to win something. I was not going there to just... I mean, I was going there to have fun, but also... To, to be seen. But fortunately, I, I won uh, bronze, uh, which is pretty cool because, um, you know, like not everybody wins something and I was lucky enough because it's luck, really. It's, it, most of the festivals are very political and the people in the jury have connection with some of the artists it's rare to find a circus festival where the jury is actually um, has no interest and no personal connection with any of the artists and they're really like being neutral and honest Um, it's very very rare yeah so in this festival I don't think it was the case, but I still got to win bronze, so I'm lucky. I don't know, someone like me in the jury, obviously. And uh, that was, so, you know, they were were announcing who won what in the morning, the, the day after, and I didn't even, we partied all night, so I didn't even wake up. I just slipped in and, someone told me, oh, you won, and I was like, oh, cool, um, and then after that, we went on tour, actually, like, the, the people, the winner of the, the competition, uh, we put a show together, because there were, like, there was a lot of people competing, there were, like, 40, maybe 50 different acts, it was really long, like, it was, it was way too long, like, there was, like, two different show, like, program A, program B, and each show was, like, three-hour long. And so from that, we made a two-hour show. Like, from this, like, six-hour program, we made two-hour. So enough artists to, like, pack two buses, and we went on tour, and we went all over the place. We went all... Up north of China, and then all the way south of China, where we 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 were for during three months. I don't know how many miles we covered, but like it was, we were right like on the road forever. In those very very particular Chinese buses, uh, I might add, where uh, in my bus at least uh, there was a hole in the ground, like in in. The little alley, alley, you know, like between the seats, in the middle of the bus, there's there's a hole and t- there's a wooden, um, in planche, like a, yeah, like a panel, a wooden panel, uh, just on top of it, not even screwed in or nothing, just just on the floor, and it was kind of like moving around and vibrating because, you know, when you're traveling the road. And whatever, and so it was making noise, and we were wondering, like, what is this? So we're like lifted up, and and there is it. There it is, like a hole, a big hole, and the road, you can see the road and everything it was like, Oh, oh yeah, okay, we might want to live it there for now. And we went through so many crazy experiences. Um at the time, China was like building its highway network, and I I guess they were, like, releasing maps of the highway, how, you know, like, how it would be once it will be finished. So, you know, it was, like, old-fashioned. There was, like, this driver and then a guy next to the driver with his big map. And we're like, okay, today we need to go there. So then we would go there. But then we end up sometimes riding for hours on a highway and then suddenly the highway just stops. Like dead, dead end. Like just, you know, like you can imagine like this apocalyptic vision of just a highway and then boom, nothing. And then in front of you, there's a field of whatever, like corn as far as you as, as you're looking and there's no way to you, you just drive in through the field but like there's no other road a little further away to catch back on it's just like a field and then the highway just stops there and and but on the map the highway goes through this field but not yet so I guess we were here like a few days earlier or a few weeks earlier I don't know so we had to like turn around and, and go through little villages for a while to catch back the highway somewhere further down the road. It was really fun. Uh, the less fun time, the least fun time, was when we missed an exit on the highway, and it was like a big curve, so you couldn't see far you know, in front or back because it was like this huge curve, and the bus realized they missed the highway, the exit, so they actually stopped on the highway and start pulling back on the fucking highway. Uh, that was like, I was like, what, the, what uh, we just might die here because cars and buses and trucks were coming really fast. It was the highway, you know, so it was like, and in China, I, I don't know where they get their, Uh, driving license if they just, you know, you just buy it online or something, but it didn't seem that everybody knew the rules, or maybe they just built the road and forgot to, like, um, print out the rules of how you're supposed to drive around, because people were really driving uh, in very weird ways, like they were, you know, they were driving all over the place, and so it was kind of like not even surprising that the bus, so the two buses stopped and started go backward on the highway on a curve with other, you know, cars and trucks coming really fast behind us and just honking and going around us. And we didn't die. We, we did it, you know, and then we took the right exit. And I was like, this is just nuts. So yeah, that was that was a fun experience. That was definitely different than what I'm used to. But uh, when we were going north in China, we got it got really cold. It got like you know zero degrees Fahrenheit. You know, so it, it got really really cold. It's like minus thirty Celsius or something, and nobody was prepared for that because you know, where we were at first, it was, like, normal weather, Um, like, I think it was in, in autumn, but it was, like, not too cold, it was just okay, but then we were going north, and it was starting to be, like, close to Siberia, and, like, really, really freezing, and one day, for breakfast, they had this, like, huge amount of um a pile of winter coats but like the best winter coat ever like like this those things that would go all the way to the feet from from the top to the feet and with like real duck feather like a down down like comforter but it's it's actually like a coat and the brand was Yaya <laughs> uh, so it's it's a Chinese coat like a Chinese brand it was Yaya and and there's a, a huge pile on the corner of the room of the hotel where we're staying and it was like everybody pick one just find your size and just pick one it was kind of like a surreal um, moment because I don't know those coats were amazing and pretty expensive but they were like okay we, we need to make sure our artists don't freeze to death. So they got the coat and I still have it. To this day, I'm still using it. It's the best coat I ever had. Yaya. <laughs> it, it makes me um, think of, you know, when I, when I was in China, I realized that they have really good quality stuff. And we, like in the Western world, we get the crappy stuff from China. You know, like everything that's made in China Um, I'm always a little, like, suspicious, you know, because we have so much crappy, shit, shitty stuff from China. But actually, um, that's not... I mean, when they do that in China, it's to send it to us because the stuff they have for themselves in China is pretty good. It's actually pretty good. I would say it's equal... Of, you know, like, the stuff we create here, so it makes me think, like, it's more like, capital- capitalist companies here in the Western world that are like, okay, let's, oh, we can make that for very cheap, and it's cheap, but, you know, people buy it, and then we make them do that in China, and then we import it here, so I always had this vision, and, like, perception of china being really cheap you know and doing really cheap stuff and i was expecting when i'm in china everything is going to be fucking cheap you know you can you're going to sit three times in your chair and it's going to break but no they they make really good stuff for themselves they they have really good stuff over there and and the revelation was like having this coat this yaya coat made in China from China a Chinese company and that was amazing. That was the that's the best code I ever had. And it was free. I mean it was not free, but they gave it to me for free. So so I, I guess someone had to buy it over there. That that was a big shift. I was like, oh we are the one asking them to make shitty stuff. They actually can do really good stuff if they want to or or they actually are doing really great stuff and one day we so we were like going from theater to theater and we were performing every other day and then traveling and doing shows all over the country I realized like they're actually sometimes we didn't know I mean we never knew where where we were going because they didn't give us a tour plan like normally when i tour with a circus i get a tour plan like i i get like a plan of like okay we're gonna go through those 25 cities and <clears throat> from this day to that day we're gonna do this city and then there's uh one day or two day break to travel and build down the 10 build it up again or whatever it is like you have a tour plan like you know where you're going uh I didn't in China. They didn't give me a tour plan. Nobody had one. And actually, I realized that the tour uh, people, like the organizers, didn't really know themselves. They were still, like, on the road calling the theater we were heading toward to make sure they were okay, that we we're doing a show tomorrow. So, in China, that's the place I experienced where things are really deal like last minute ever um i know in 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 europe you plan really long in advance like i mean opera is like the extreme like opera is planning like two three years in advance their season uh that's how they deal with it like other you know theater dance it's more like a year in advance a year and a half circus is a little less in the u.s it's shorter than that, like, things are planned, like, six months, three months in advance, so it's quicker, like, things move quicker and faster, but in China, it's, like, it was, like, we didn't know if it was actually a a deal that tomorrow we're performing there, you know, so it was really, um, yeah, it was interesting, and, and part of this weirdness was that Maybe it was because of that, I guess, but they would never tell us what was the plan. So they would simply, you know, like at the beginning of the tour, they would call my room at like 6.30 a.m., wake me up and tell me, get ready, we're leaving in an hour. And that's not how I'm used to function. Like, I'm used to be very independent and have a lot of space and plan, you know, just plan my day. And I can follow a tour and a group and, like, organize, but I I need a little heads up. And most of the, you know, European or American people or North America or, like, Western world people are used to that. You know, we're not really used to be told, like, now, pack your stuff, eat something, we're leaving in 35 minutes. And it's like, what? I mean, I'm not a kid anymore or, or uh, you know, I, I need a little heads up. That that was a real struggle to explain them because a few of us artists were really pissed off. Like, after a week of that or two weeks of that, it was like, it's it's not cool like to function like that you know or you're on the bus you don't know how much you're going to be on the bus sometimes you're on the bus like for six hours straight and suddenly we stop and now you go and we're going to eat and now you go to the bathroom and now we're wh- what are we doing oh just go in the bus and so you go back on the bus you do another three hour ride and now we arriving in a hotel oh go to your hotel we're eating in 20 minutes and then good night and then in the morning, sometimes they call at six thirty a.m. Sometimes they call at eight a.m. And then, boom! You have forty-five minutes to get ready. We're going, and and it was like that all the time. It's like it's it's not a life. It's like crazy, you know. It would it was driving me crazy really, and everybody else too, like the other your like Western people. And so we're we're like okay, we need to let. Make them understand that they just need to, by the end of the day, when we have dinner all together, just take a few minutes to tell us what's the plan for tomorrow. Like just, okay, tomorrow, what time are we waking up? What time are we leaving? What time do we have a break? What time is the show? What time? I don't know. Like just give us a little plan for tomorrow. And it was a real struggle. Because they thought we were divas, we thought, they thought, but, and I understand, I underst- and on the spot I didn't understand, on the spot I was like, what the fuck, like, are you fucking kidding me, like, what is happening here, like, this is like so fundamental human behavior, but I understood during this tour that Chinese people have a different way of life they have a different tradition they have a different uh, way to relate to one another and to function in a group and what i understood was when you have a group there's always a leader and there's n- there's no questioning the leader like if the leader is the leader of the group it's because it's a, it's coming from above it's coming from a higher you know, like hierarchy person. So basically it's all, it's all trickling down from the government because the circus is part of the government. Everything is part of the government in China. So it's like someone in the government said, you're the circus guy in charge for Wuqiao festival. And this guy said, you're in charge for touring for the tour show. And this guy said, you're in charge of the hotel thing. And then it's, tripling down like that but then as an artist I was part of the artist group so I was I was not I was that the head of myself but that's it and that doesn't mean anything in China you're just an individual and so I was part of the group so I was supposed to function like a Chinese person and just simply follow whatever instruction the leader of my group said and, and explaining to them that we needed uh, information on an individual level for them was really like out of this world and like, oh, you're a diva, like you think you're special, you're, you really think you're like a dummy god or something. And it was very interesting. Sorry. <clears throat> It was it was very interesting um, to to understand that they were not wrong, and they were not doing that to piss me off, or they were not doing that uh, uh, to disrespect me. They were just that's how they function, that's how they are functioning for the last three thousand years, and so they don't question that, even though for me uh, as a French. Man, growing up in Paris, in France, that was kind of like something I never even thought of because it's so deep rooted into my culture that it's part of like the respect that you have for yourself and for other people around you. And it's just normal to tell people, hey, uh, what if we meet tomorrow at 5 p.m. and we'll do that Then maybe around... 10 weekend whatever you know like you you plan a little bit and you 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 share that information with other people but in china like the leader of the group was planning and at the head of the thing and didn't pass down that information because that's not how it works if you're part of the group you just follow the lead you don't ask question That's just how it is. Like it's it's all about the uh, the greater good for the greater good for the good of the community for the good of the group. It's not about the individual. It's about what's best for the group. So for them, it was really hard to open the door to sharing that information because obviously, when they would tell us, "Oh, we're gonna do this or that at this time or that time," sometimes they were like really stupid um, planning. And you were like, wait a second, like, if we do that, it's going to be much easier for everybody. We can actually sleep like two hours more because, look, if we just shorten that time and do that. And then suddenly we were like participating in like the decision making. But it's, it's a lot how it happens in our society, but it's not how it happens in their society. And they were... Um uh, I think as startled that we were, that they were functioning like that, they were really startled that we wanted to know and like be involved a little bit in all that. But that's that's how it went, you know. So that was a really fun uh, realization to understand, because at one point I was like, oh, they're all they're all wrong. They're all like they don't know how to be human beings, and then I was like, wait a second, how many Chinese people is there on the planet, like, there's, like, close to 2 billion people, and they have, like, this amazing art, and this amazing lifestyle that they have for 3,000 years, and they have dynasty, and, and, like, they have all this knowledge, and, and, you know, like, whatever it is about, like, health, and being able to, like, the meridians, and the energy, and like they're so aware on a lot of things, and who am I to say like they're wrong, it's like the whole entire country functions like that, maybe they're just different, and there's nothing wrong, it's just how it is, and I have to change something in my perspective of things, and in my mind, to accept that, and it was really hard to do that because it just didn't make any sense because of my past and because of my education, but it was a very challenging and interesting experience. It happens a lot when you travel like to like challenge your own beliefs and, and challenge how you think things are normal, and that's a lot of, I think, a lot of problem we have in the world simply comes because the people don't move, people don't travel, people don't challenge themselves to see and experience another people, um, another group of people living their life differently but still in harmony and being happy about it. And then when you have this kind of experience, you can go home and see that the way things are here in in your home environment are not a given but it's actually a culture that it that it was molded and, and it was created throughout time and it changed but a lot of people think like oh that that's how it is that it has always been and that's how it should be and by um and they project that onto the rest of the world, and they're like, oh, it's, this is great, this is my reality, this is what I know, this is what I like, this is w- what makes me feel safe, so the entire world should be like that, so I can feel safe, and it's like, um, it's bullshit, because nobody's right and nobody's wrong, it's just different, who am I to say that 3,000 years of Chinese Um, dynasties and history and change and growth are wrong or you know like there's anything that they're doing bad like they they're thinking the same thing about me you know and are they wrong? Am I wrong? Why should I be the one? Especially when I'm in China and I'm alone and there's two billion Chinese people around me, you know, or whatever it is, you know, I was like, well, I need to calm down right now and maybe <laughs> revisit my <clears throat> thinking of like I'm the center of the world. So that was a good experience. And we went around a lot. We, we performed in really hard Place, harsh places like I remember a theater was um, not finished, so backstage there were, uh, there was a wall missing, like they were actually finishing building it. But they they do that a lot, like they open things before they're finished, like um, buildings to live in or to work in, and so you can see like the first fifteen floors are already lit up and people are going there living working or whatever and then they're still building the top of the building like they're actually literally still creating like more um uh levels and 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 creating the building you know and so they do that a lot and and they did i performed in theater like that like the theater wasn't finished i even stayed in a hotel that was not finished Uh, one of the corridor to go to my room one side was uh, a plastic and it was really cold so I touched the plastic I pushed it a little bit and then I realized and I was on the fifth floor and I realized oh this there's no wall this is outside is outside like there's just like a thin layer of plastic um, between me and nothing you know and I was like whoa I need to be careful here and maybe there was a sign, but obviously written in Chinese, so I had no ID. Uh, yeah, and this this so this one performance in the theater with like this wall missing in the backstage uh, was hard because it was really really cold in the theater and it was really hard to warm up, and uh, it was like extreme situations where I had to like really. Um, Uh, Push my boundaries and realize that I actually I was able to perform in those conditions it was not the best condition and I don't want to be um, keep like performing in those conditions but going through really harsh conditions helped me uh, appreciate uh, the really great condition when I had great conditions so for example when I did this tour with the Cirque du Soleil and we had those two uh, uh, masseuse and 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 uh, uh, how do you say that? Like the chiropractors on tour with us, and we had all this like people there to like make sure everything was fine. And actually, I had bad experiences with the Cirque du Soleil too, because we we're performing in arenas, and a lot of the arenas were like hockey. Uh, like ice uh, hockey arenas, and so there's ice, and they were like building the stage on top of the ice, and we were there for only a week, so the arena people didn't want to like put the heat too high because the ice would melt. So we were in pretty cold, and and some of those happened in Texas, where outside was a fucking oven, and outside was like 90 degrees, but inside was freezing because we were performing on top of ice, so that was crazy too, but in a different way, like in this case in China, there was just no wall, so that's why it was cold in the theater, Um, but not long after that, I actually, uh, they took us to like one of their circus school in China and we got to visit the school and meet the children and see how it works over there and see that they were working, the school was gigantic. It was really big. The ceilings was were like so high. It was like, I don't know, 10 stories high. Like it was really like, nearly like, uh, I don't know how you say that in English, like, like you would like park, a plane, an airplane, or something, you know, like it's, it was big like that, and there was no heat. And it was cold, really cold. Like, we, I, you know, we entered the school, and it was as cold in the school than outside, and we're wearing like our huge jacket. I told you about like this coat with like down feather, uh, and, uh, and every, you know, like, condition was like the worst I ever saw but the kids were smiling and they were very happy and they were doing contortion in, in like, I don't know, it was maybe like 10 degrees Fahrenheit or something, it was like freezing and they were doing contortion and doing acrobatics and they were smiling, they were really happy and, and we have, I had from Europe this very strong perspective of China being really harsh with their artists and pushing them and breaking them because well that's kind of what they're doing technically. Like they're pushing so much that, you know, you see a Chinese artist doing something amazing, but you only see them doing a few tours in Europe. You know, they would come, they would do a festival, then they get hired, they do a tour with one and two big circus, but then you don't see them again because someone else, another Chinese person comes and do another thing and do the tour. So they're like touring for only like a year or two and then going back. And I don't know what they would do when they go back. And it's a very, very, very short career. It's like a two year career. And it takes a long time to get to the level there. at. like it takes their entire childhood to like work 10 hours a day getting to that level. But what I didn't know is that actually the kids are happy. They're happy because because it's a way out. It's a way to be. It's a life. Um, all the most of the children they come from um, like peasants' families, um, living in a really really rural, harsh situa- like harsh um, yeah situations and lifestyles. Pretty much like close to like middle age life and and. The circus goes around and, you know, offer to families to, like, take a child to, to train them. And the families are really happy. And the kids are really happy to because it's a way out. It's, it's an opportunity for them. It's like a step up. <laughs> you know, it's like when you're there and you see that, it's like, oh, my God. Like, this is the worst situation I ever saw. And those kids are actually stepping up. So... Where they're, you know, like the situation where they're stepping up from is like, I can't even imagine. It's it's really really harsh. That's what I didn't know, and I when I saw that I became a little gentler with how they do things because I got to you know see and see that actually, even though there's the kids are sleeping like eight eight kids on bunk beds, in a very tiny cell, and actually, I noticed that the lock was outside of the cell, and not inside, so they're probably locked up at night, and I mean, I'm not sure, I don't know, but I I was like, okay, the situation here is really extreme, but the kids were happy, and they were just smiling, they were happy to see us, they were happy to be practicing, and they They didn't know anything else, and that was actually a step up for them. That was intense. And next to this uh, school was like an attraction park, like a circus type attraction park, like... Yeah, like, for, for, for circus, like, I don't know, Disneyland or something, but for circus, and in China, so it was, like, far from Disneyland, but I saw uh, circus performers there, uh, and it was, it was north, up north, so it was cold. Like, you know, I keep emphasizing, like, how cold it was, and we had those, like, amazing coats and stuff, and it was cold. And... um those guys were performing outside. They were not even performing in a theater. They were actually performing outside. And they were doing amazing things, like some of the harsh things you can do with your body, where like one was like climbing on top of a spike, I guess. Like a yeah, like like a wooden stick, but really long and and Um, it it would, you know, like other guys would like hold on the stick and the guy would climb on top of the stick and then uh, do a plank on his belly with the stick in the middle of his um, belly. So lifting the entire weight of his body on one point in his belly. I mean, this is just crazy. Another guy was breaking stone with his hands um and it was not a trick i went after and shook the guy's hand and his hand was you know like his hand was like a stone it became like a stone with time you know like it 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 was this hammer he had a hammer instead of a hand the 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 skin was not skin anymore it was like completely hard he couldn't uh open or close his pinky or other, you know, like last two fingers, because because the hand like just morphed into like a uh, a hammer, I guess. And another guy was doing like I don't know how you call that even like just like you would put him in a <laughs> in a vest, uh, like for you know they use in like crazy hospitals for crazy people, I guess, Um, and then he would get out of that, like, a little bit like Mel Gibson in, in Lethal Weapon, you know, where he's, like, has to, like, take his shoulder arm out of his, like, shoulder socket or something to, like, get out of this, and the guy was doing that, and there was other guys doing crazy shit, and they were doing that, and it was below freezing outside, and they were, you know, bare chest, (laughs) I, I was, like, and then when we asked them after, like, hey, like, how many shows do you do, and they were, like, just, well, as soon as there's people around sitting, we do the show, so they were, like, maybe doing, like, 30 times or I I don't know, like it was just crazy, they were there like 12 hours straight from 8 in the morning until 8 at night and they were doing, I don't know, like shows every time people show up, they would just do the show, that was their job and they were getting, I don't know, 5 bucks a day or something and they would just do that and they looked happy, that's the craziest shit is that they're actually were very happy to see us, and they looked happy, and they're just, that's that's who they are, you know, like, the they those are, like, superhuman. So when I saw that, I realized that my experience was, like, performing in a theater with no walls, so it's a little cold in the theater, or with the Cirque du Soleil, and we build a stage on top of, ice and it's a little cold, but then I have my masseuse backstage and, you know, I'm in a five star hotel and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh my God, like my limit is so far from those humans. And those people are humans. They're, they're, you know, they're not aliens. They're not coming from another planet. They're human beings. They have the same body. Like they have the same we have the same organs, we function the same way, we, have, we both have like muscles, we both have a brain, we both have like two arms, two legs, we, you know, we, we, we have the same tools, but they're going through something that I could never, ever, ever do, just because I would just freeze into place, my body would freeze, I couldn't move my arms, I couldn't juggle, I couldn't do my job at all in those conditions, and those guys were doing some incredible things, in those conditions, smiling, you know, 30 times a day, they are really like, um, that gave me a, a really big slap in the face, about like, okay, like, calm down, you, you can't do this, you can't perform, and there's, it's raining, and it's all cold, and it's a little this, a little that, just, just shut the fuck up, and go do your job, that's the circus, circus is harsh, you know, we, traditionally, we don't have great conditions in the circus, it's a tent in the middle of a field, imagine it's like, it rains for two days. What happens? Well, it's it's a mud field, you know, and turns into a fucking mud field, and and then you have three hundred people coming in the audience, you know, coming in and out two three times a day. What happens to the field? It's a, it's even a sheer mud field, you know. It becomes like terrible, and then I was like performing those conditions too, and I was like, oh my god, this is this is really bad conditions. It's like shut the fuck up look at those guys, look at those artists, amazing artists, in those condition, doing 30 shows in a row, every day, for 12 hours, standing in the cold like that, they had a little like, really tiny, tiny bench, with like a wooden, uh, wall behind them, and some sort of like, electric, no, um, gas, gas like heat, where they would like, gather around that and talk and I don't know what they would, you know, talk about life around this thing, waiting a few minutes for the next group of people coming and boom, doing it again. No warm up, no backstage, no conditions, no light, no nothing, just out there in the wind, in the cold, it's raining, it's, it's snowing, it's whatever, they're here, right there, outside, that's just nuts, that's just nuts, so I wouldn't, um, you know, want to perform in this condition, and I wouldn't want anyone, but seeing that, and seeing that there's people on this planet that are capable of doing that, and maintaining that level of performance, because those performers were not young, they were, pro- they were actually like at the end of their career. They were like, I think, 30, 40. Also, they might be looking really old because of doing that. So maybe they were younger. But it seemed to me they were like late 30s, 40s. So they were like seasoned artists. Those guys were doing that. And we're like bitching about you know, bad air quote, bad conditions, that, that really like shook me a lot to see that. Yeah, that's it, it's pretty much my, my experience, the other, the other thing that happened was like actually eating uh, real Chinese food, (laughs) because I thought I knew what was Chinese food, but Once I got there, I realized, oh, no, I don't know what is Chinese food. I actually know modified Chinese food for Western people. Uh, But I have no idea that Chinese people eat uh, chicken feet. Like not legs, like feet, like they're actually little feet thing. It's, It's a treat in China. Like they roast it and I tried to eat it, but there's nothing to eat. Because it's like just their claws, you know, and it's like, what are you wanting to do? And they love it; they suck on it, and they, I don't know what they find to eat on there. And it's like it was every time when we had like a special dinner, because of a show or something. There, there, we had this thing on the table, and it was like I, I don't know what to do with that. It's it's like disgusting, but it was really great, like I love the way they eat, like they they sit around a big table, and you're always like eight to 12 people around a table, and they give you like a really, really small plate in front of you, it's like a, you know, butter plate, like a plate here we used to put your piece of toast, or your butter, or something, and then they start bringing up food on the table, and it's this big round uh, thing that's like turning on itself and this thing is turning all the time like not mechanically but the people are just making it turn because they want whatever's on the other side of this thing and so you turn it and so you see food going in front of you and they start with like serving food and they come with like one and two and three and four and five and they bring like 30 40 different plates of things forever and and it's taste and smell really weird and and things that i've never tasted or never smelled and most of it i don't know what it is and um they pile it up so all the first dish they brought are still there and it doesn't matter if it's finished or not they they keep bringing plates and they pile it on top of it, so it's, it creates a mountain of, of plates with food in it, and the little, so people eat directly, they don't, they don't serve, you don't serve yourself, you don't take the food and put it in your small, like, uh, butter toast plate, and then eat it, you you just eat it directly, so you take your uh, baguette, your Chinese thing, and, and you, put it directly in your mouth. So it's kind of gross sometimes because depending where what you're eating with, sometimes they're not really like, um I don't know, they don't have the same manners than we have. So it's freaking to just smoke a cigarette while you're eating. It's freaking to have someone like back their chair up and just spit on the floor. Like just really like disgustingly like and then spit right there on the floor, and then st- keep eating again, they they have this thing, they just spit everywhere, they spit fucking everywhere, like not just in the street, but like in buildings, on the floor, in elevators, like they, they just spit everywhere, and they're just used to it, so they clean all the time, they're sp- cleaning people all the time, going around and cleaning the floors, because everybody's fucking sp- spitting around, and so they do that, also at the table, so sometimes, you know, it's a different, you just need to adapt, because, you know, like, three months during like that, it was like, at one point, I thought to myself, like, okay, if I can't handle that, I get it, it's really different, but I need to just go home, or just drop all my preconceived notions and ideas of how it is to be a human being, and accept that things are very different here. And it was a huge moment for me where I was like, okay, I want to do this thing. It was after like 3 weeks. We were on tour for 3 weeks already. Because when when I was doing the um competition, it was most like it was like maybe like 40% Chinese artist but like 60% uh or more um artists from all over the world so it was very international when we were at the hotel and 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 partying or performing or whatever it was very international but then we went on tour and it was it reversed it was like mostly 60 70 percent was like Chinese troops and Chinese artists and a little bit of European American North North America South America uh, Australia, like other, you know, people from other places. But so we were on tour and we were touring through China and we were like um, managed by Chinese people, you know. So it was really being treated as a Chinese person and having to just switch and accept their ways and be one of them for a little bit. Uh, and I decided to do the experience, but I really had had to like push myself a lot and and, and nearly like violet, vi- uh, v- uh, violet myself. Like I I felt I I had to like lose a part of my identity that was really at the foundation and the core of who I am as a person. And that was very violent to, to like rip that off of me and accept that that was not the absolute truth. And from now on, I would just accept and go through this experience as a different me as a Chinese version of me and accept that they were pushing me around to go and not telling me where and not telling me how, and just treating me as one part of their group, you know, like, and some in a way lose a part of my identity as an individual. And in the Western world, we're really big on that, you know, like America is all about privacy and property, you know, I have my, it's my house, it's my land, and you come in there, I'm going to shoot your ass, and it's like very, very different, it's very individual, it's like my space, my, me, 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 you know, it's all about that, and China is not like that at all, it's not about me, it's about us, it's the group first, it's it's the, the, the society first, and that was huge to actually um, accept to function like that for a little while, the, the click was really hard. Like accepting doing this, uh, taking this step was really hard. But once I did, then I really, it opened my mind because then I came back and I, you know, I, I think I behaved the way I always did. It's just that I I don't have those limitations. I don't think that's the only way. I don't think that's how it should be. Ultimately, I'm thinking, well, it could be. Very, it can be very different, and I experienced it on a very deep level in my being, and that's okay. Yeah, the food was very different. Not, nothing. Nothing alike. I I never tasted again that kind of food. And the rice, when they bring you rice, it means it's the end. So the rice is actually the last dish they will bring on the table. And that was terrible for some of my artist friends because it was so different than what they're used to and strange that I was able to eat, like, maybe 40% of what they were bringing, you know, like, not not in quantity, but, like, you know, like, 60% of the dishes I couldn't eat it because it was, like, too weird, too spicy, too, like, what the fuck is this liver thing from rats or whatever. I don't know, maybe not rats, but, like, it was really weird. So 40% was, like, not too um, extreme on, on a spice level, and you could see, okay, it's like beef, it's, it's uh, fish, it's rice, it's whatever. But I had some friends, that were like vegan or something, I was like, so they had to wait like 45 minutes until the end of the meal, basically, that they actually finally bring uh, the rice, so they could have some rice. Yeah, for some people, that was really tough. I'm not that picky with food, so I just, I, was tr- I tried pretty much nearly everything they brought, even like the chicken claws things, I was like, okay, I'm going to try. I didn't really find it appealing, so I was like, I'm not going to keep eating that because I, I don't get it, but I tried. Yeah, that was funny. Oh, I'm remembering another experience that happened was when I was uh, touring uh, we went through one of the shows happened in a huge arena like huge like I don't know eight ten thousand people you can put ten thousand people in this place a huge arena and it was brand new like again it was not totally finished There were they were still like finishing it, but they were doing the inauguration and our show was the, actually the inauguration of this arena. And while we were, uh, we arrived and we toured around and we saw like TV stuff, like, you know, TV cranes and all the equipment, the, the cameras, everything was set uh, to record, like on a very professional level. And we're like, okay, wait a second, this is recorded. This is going to go on TV. And they were like, yeah, uh, it's live on TV. And we're like, what? Uh, this is not part of the contract because we kind of signed a contract saying like, okay, we're going to tour through China and they guarantee that we're going to perform at least like 30 shows in three months or something. And we agreed on a price for each show, but it's something to do a show in a theater and it's another thing to go live on TV and... Uh, nationally you know like it would be like going live on national TV I don't know in anywhere you know in China is huge there's so many people so it was like I, I want to I, I want more money you know everybody was like wait a second like this is this is not the same kind of contract you know we need to renegotiate and uh, they, they, they were actually officials, like people from the government, like people from the Chinese government were there. Like It was a huge deal. I don't know what celebration it was. It was just like the opening of this thing, and it was like a really big deal over there. So we talked about, and then we negotiated a little bit with them. All the artists agreed, and we were like, okay, how much do we ask? Okay, let's ask a little bit more. And then they were like, oh, we can't do that, but we can give you like, a tiny bit more, and then everybody, like, nobody wanted to argue, and they were like, okay, whatever, and then I thought to myself, like, you know what, this is bullshit, like, they have money, like, now now that I'm touring through China, and I'm seeing everything they're doing, they're building, like, everything so fast, like, they have a shit ton of money, and this place, like, this arena with 10,000 people, and all this equipment, and, like, this state-of-the-art place to like perform whatever you want in it there's a lot of money in there like I'm gonna go live on national tv and I'm gonna get peanuts for that and, and so I was like I went to so to, to the guy who's like uh managing the tour so the chief basically like the one chief Chinese guy managing the whole tour and he was touring with us and I was like yeah man I I I'm not, I'm not cool with, with, you know, what you offered, I I want more, I want like three times more, I actually, I said like four times first, and and so we started negotiating and he was avoiding me because I, I told him that like the, because we learned that the day before the show, and I thought about it during the the, the night, and then in the morning I went to him and I was like, I don't want to do that, so tonight I want more money or I'm not doing the show. And that was my one card because I knew that once I performed the show, there's no way I'm going to negotiate anything. Like, that's the one thing. That's the one rule in the circus. You, you negotiate before you perform, not after. Um, actually, traditionally, uh, they used to pay circus performers uh, half in the in the intermission and half after the show um so it was like a compromise like i start the show but during the intermission you pay me half so i know you're going to pay me and i stay to finish the show and at the end of the show you pay me so there's this like there were, traditionally there's this um kind of like balance of power between the producer and between the artist because once you do the show what what is your negotiation uh, you know, advantage. You you don't have any negotiation left. You did the show. That's it. The, the people saw it. People are gone. That's it. So, well, now we have like legal, you know, you can potentially, if you sign the contract and everything, you can go to court and everything, but it's probably going to cost you much more money than what you're getting. So that's kind of like a dead end. So what happened, and, and in before th- you know, like a while ago, I don't know, 60, 80 years ago, a hundred years ago, there's no nothing of that. So the the deal was that, like the agreement was you, you pay me half during the intermission. So at least I have half of my you know, and, and it's kind of like a guarantee you're gonna actually pay me. If you pay me half now, you okay, you have the money. And they did that also because they were actually getting the money from the people. Like, you know, they pay the audience pays at the end, entr- you know, when they enter the the circus tent, the show starts, and then the intermission, the producer, the director of the circus has the money to start paying the artist. And it was this thing, I, I think it's nice, I don't know, I like this idea of, it, it makes it real, it makes it really real. So I knew that my only way to negotiate with this guy was to negotiate before the show. And so I, but the guy was avoiding me and he was like, I need to go. I need to talk, I need to call and I need to talk with my supervisor. And then he came back to me and he was like, no, I can't do it. They said no. And so he was like, okay, what I can do is pay you on my own salary, but I have a wife and I have kids and I have debt and my kids are going to school. So, okay, maybe I can pay you on my salary and it's going to really put me in trouble and i'm i'm like in deep shit for the next 6 months but i'm going to pay you on my salary and i was like no no way man don't no you're not going to pay me on my salary you're just going to go and get the money from your boss from whoever and you're going to pay me because if i'm going live on tv there is money here like it's not like you know there is a lot of money how do you pay all that there is money don't 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 fool me you know and i was I was never really good at negotiation, it always like stressed me out to negotiate, Uh, so I was really hyped up and and he really pushed, you know, the card like, okay, that's okay, I'll pay you on my salary, you know, and it was like really like a pity show, you know, but then eventually, so he was like, I can't pay you that much, it's gonna be less, and I was like, no, don't pay me on your salary, But I want, okay, we can go lower, but I want that. And eventually we agreed on three times the price. And then he started laughing, slapped me on the back and was like, this was a really great negotiation. Congratulations, you got me this time around. I'm looking forward to the next time. And he was happy and he left. And I was like, oh, this was all bullshit. This this was just a game. Of course, he's not gonna pay me on his own salary. Of course, he has the money. It was it was a game because I realized Chinese they play with that. They play with negotiation. It's it's actually a game for them. They're not taking that as seriously as me. Maybe other people don't take that that seriously. But like the experience that I have is that it's pretty serious business. You're just like serious. No, I can't do that. I can't. Okay, negotiation—it's hard, and it needs to be like serious and and tough. And the guy was—it's—it was a game, and they don't have any encore. They don't have any bitterness. Once you, once you finish and you agree, whatever you went through, whatever you said, whatever happened during the negotiation, it's all gone, and they're happy there is an agreement, even if in this case, I kind of won, air quote, like I didn't want over him, I just, we agreed on something, and I think, seriously, I could have gotten like 10 times more, but that's what it was, and I'm happy with what I got, because that was my, you know, I was like, I would feel comfortable with that, and I got it, so I was happy, you know, but he was cool with it, and I really surprised me when he, like, you know, we shook hand and he slapped my back and started laughing and told me, Oh, you you got me this time. Cool, good for you and, and he went away. And I was like, Oh, shit. I I didn't saw that coming. It was really a game for for him. Not for me. I was stressed out. And we agreed two hour before the show, before my act, actually the, the show was starting really soon and my act was like Later down the road, so I still had time to 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 like warm up. But I was really playing it like I'm not in costume. I'm not warming up. I had to, you know, really like push to to like uh, push the negotiation forward. That was my only like negotiating uh, cards that I had. And and I was like my hands in my pocket, not ready, no makeup, no nothing and, you know, the show was, like, starting in an hour, and I was not ready, and and I was like, we need to negotiate that, because I'm not doing the show, and and so, you know, I played all my cards right, so he took me seriously, but then, by the end, he was laughing, and being like, that was a good one, okay, good for you, and see you next time, you know, and then I was like, wow, so startled, and then I was like, shit, now I have to get ready, because I'm late on my schedule, and so, and it was a big one, live on TV and everything, yeah, maybe I should have just, you know, focused on the show, and took my time to get ready, and actually I have, I never saw this video, I know it, it went live on TV, and I think it was rebroadcast a few times, because I heard people that saw me in China on TV, but I never heard of it, and, you know, how do you get it, how do you get it, you know, how do I get it from here, you know, it's like, I don't read Chinese, I don't speak Chinese, I don't, I have no idea how to get that video, it would be nice, but I don't know, I don't know, I I, I know, maybe I'm famous in China, maybe this video is still running, once in a while because they do that a lot in tv you know like they shoot something it happened to me in France they shoot a show and then suddenly they you know oh we're gonna do a circus broadcast special emission whatever basically what they're doing is like recycling a bunch of act they already have on tape from different places and then they put a show together and then they Broadcast it and I never hear about it. They don't pay me more like you know when I sign the contract You just give up your all your rights like being a circus performer is not being a movie star or Anything like it. You just sign and you get what you can and you get a few Bucks and you just give up all your rights and basically they can play it as many times as they want on the entire universe You don't get anything. You know who's getting something? My brother. Because at this time, he's a musician and he did the music for my show. And the rules for musicians are much better than for circus performers. So, musicians actually own their music. So, because they own the music, and when they play my act, they play the music. And because the music is registered in the name of my brother, because he actually composed it and played it, so it's fair, he gets money. So to this day, I have some videos going on TV, and he gets paid when I go on TV. And I don't get anything. I don't even get a phone call or an email to tell me, like, hey, you're going on TV. I don't know. People see and sometimes tell me, like, hey, I saw you on TV the other day. Great. Cool. I You know, for me, it's like free here. I did that like 15 years ago, and that's it. It's out there, out of my control forever. That's funny. Yeah, circus is is not a career to make a lot of money, but it's fun, and it's a way to have a lot of cool experiences like this one I had in China. Touring after the Vukiao festival. Yeah, that was a good one. Well, thanks for listening. This one was really long. But I thought I wanted to tell you a story. So here it is. And uh, as always, thanks to Play Juggling. Go on their website, playjuggling.com. They have the best um, circus equipments and juggling tools in the entire universe. Thanks to Head on Television, my brother, for the music you're hearing at the beginning and the end of this podcast. And thanks to him for doing my music in some of my act and getting paid uh, long after I I already, you know, got my contract and every time he goes on TV and he's the only one profiting for that. (laughs) But I'm really happy at least someone does. And remember, failure is an essential part of juggling. But failing is not a problem. The problem is not learning from your failures. So get out there and juggle, fail, learn, repeat.